Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, and co-parents of all ages, this podcast is for you. Introducing in the center ring the amicable divorce expert, Judith Weigel. Welcome back, everyone. We have a great episode today because we have Carrie Cohen, Coach Carrie Cohen, who is a psychotherapist, marriage coach, and relationship expert who worked for 25 plus years as a psychotherapist, one-on-one with clients. But over the last few years, I guess due to COVID, since we talked and, and I uh, read about you more, you have um, moved your your business in another direction to the point where you're great for this conversation today. So thank you for thank you for being here, Carrie. Thank you, Judith, for having me. Carrie, you're no stranger to divorce. You've been divorced. So it's really great when somebody has experienced that and can use that in their understanding of their clients along with all of their their research and education. Is there something that stands out in your divorce or your marriage that would be an excellent starting point for conversations about forgiveness, when you think you've married the when you've married the wrong person and now you're getting divorced, how do you talk about it? And then uh, we're going to go into lastly, how do we get people out of the victim stage when they're ready to negotiate? But let's talk about yeah. your divorce first. Yeah, so let's talk about that. So my first marriage, I met my first husband when I was 18. And we got married when I was 24 and we were divorced to 27. Now, I, my current stance at 49 and three quarters years old is that if you are married to a good human and you loved each other in the beginning, it behooves you to try to work on that marriage because it's a lot easier to repair a marriage with a good human that you had love before with than it is to start over. Because even when you start over, you've got uh, baggage that you have to work through. We bring everything with us. But in my case, um, I really didn't know what I didn't know. I was too, I would say, uh, emotionally young to make a decision about who I was going to spend my life with. And my perspective really about the decade of the 20s is that it's our most transformational decade. So oftentimes we are choosing people to be with in our 20s that we would never want to spend our life with. This is often the case. And so here I am at, you know, 18, choosing my life mate. And the reality of that is that we were not a good match. I sort of knew we weren't a good match to begin with. Um, But for me, it was just like, okay, this is the next thing to do is we get engaged. We move in together. We get married. Fortunately, we didn't have kids. But it was really more of putting things on autopilot. This is the next thing to do. And I actually did try to work on it. I tried to get him to go to marriage therapy, but he wouldn't. So I did a lot of work on myself. And when that happens, one partner is fast-tracking their outgrowth of the other partner. And so that was really what happened. It was sort of like the writing was on the walls. There was no me writing this out. This is as good as it gets. And I've worked with a lot of clients who are in that situation 
And many who have kids, it makes it even more of a difficult decision than mine was. Yeah, kids are a whole whole separate thing. So you met when you were 18, you married at 24, so that's six years. And then three years later, you were divorced. Mm-hmm. At what point after the marriage? Now, we know, we, we know in the pit of our stomachs on the day we get married, if we're yeah. doing the right thing, don't we? Yeah, I knew. I mean, it's really funny. I started going to therapy right before the marriage and I was sitting in the therapist's office and I was telling her it was a, I was in grad school at the time and I was telling her it was my internship that was stressing me out. And she's like, well, that's going to end in two months. I don't understand. She was actually, she was hovering over what the issue was, which is that I was getting ready to get married in 30 days and I didn't want to, but I couldn't actually face it. And for me as a psychotherapist now today, It is so evident to me when a client is not ready to face something and it doesn't matter how closely I edge toward it. I could even say it directly, but they're not going to receive it. And so at that point, there was no way that I at 24 could hear what she had to say, face that truth, and then have to go into that marriage with either like very obvious ambivalence or call it off. I didn't feel prepared for that. You know, that's interesting or call it off. That's huge because, well, first of all, you had six years invested. Yeah. Right. In, in being together. So, you know, we think, well, that has to count for something. You know, I, I think we all naturally do that. How do we save this? Because, well, we've been together six years. Your point about the twenties being the transition. Uh, decade, I, I, I couldn't be more supportive of that because my sister and I had two very different points of view on what to do once we graduated college. I said, we must see the world. We must travel. We must work in different places. Um, we cannot pin ourselves down. But then I didn't want to have kids, though. So that was easier for me to say that. She really wanted to be a young mom and not a lot of dating experience in high school. We all performed music. We had activities and it, it took up dating time, I think. So mm-hmm. college years were when we dated. And I don't know if that's too old to start, but that's the way it was. And I think, I don't know. She never know. She never said whether it was a compromise for her to marry him. We all knew it was wrong, not because he was a horrible human being. We just knew it was wrong. It just wasn't a good match. It didn't seem to be that way. And, uh, and so anyway, she eventually, after 20, 25 years of marriage, didn't get divorced. But I, I think that's maybe a dividing line in and of itself, possibly if you want to have children and you want to be young parents. What do you think? Well, I think this whole idea of young parents, I'm not really sure that that's even so important for people in today's generation. I could see it being important 30 years ago. My mom was a young parent. Um, and I, I think that... There is a compromise to be made always. So it's, do I pursue my career or do I stay home and parent my children? Do I find a partner now so I can have kids young or do I allow myself to explore the world and put that off? And 
I think that those are really hard decisions for people because they can feel like crossroads decisions. And so I, I also see that there are people that are having kids later and later. So I had my, so I got married to my second husband at 30 and had my daughter at 36. Now I had, we had difficulty getting pregnant. I don't know if it would have been easier before, but I think that there's so much advancement in technology with, with reproductive medicine that I don't even think that that's an issue and not even reproductive medicine with assisted technology, but there's so many registered dietitians and nutritionists who are working on things like egg quality that I don't even think that women need to worry so much about that. And frankly, I think if you have your kids in your thirties, there's, there's a certain amount of life experience that you've already got to have. Now, one thing I would say that I really feel very strongly about is that couples don't get married and that first year have a baby because they don't have any time to get to know each other as partners. And oftentimes that's another sort of fast track to divorce. After they're done raising their kids, they never got to really build a foundation. And they're like, well, now what? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. You said something very quickly in the middle of this last bit, and that was parents having life, people having life experience to be parents. I think that was a seriously important statement that you said, because after 11 years of working in divorce mediation, I sit back and say, there's a lot of people who should not be parents. They just don't get what parenting is, which is unbelievably commitment filled and difficult. And if you have anything with your spouse that you're not like seriously aligned with, it's going to come out in the parenting, don't you think? It absolutely is. And for my husband and I, we were actually quite aligned and we still had a lot of uh, sort of divisions between us to really work through because we had a daughter who was super strong-willed. And if if you're unprepared for you know, a a child who's not going to just be an easy compliant child and she was not, then there's going to be a lot of divide between you and your partner. And so much of that's going to come out. And I think that, you know, at that point, what's really important is that you're able to fall back on what you know, what your experience is, what your foundation is, and you have a confidence and a trust to be able to work toward getting back together on the same page. And so I do think life experience is really important. And I think that the case for we don't know what we don't know can apply in so many areas, including parenting. And as a mom now, there was no way that I could predict how I would feel about myself, my husband, and my world post-children. And it is, it is a wrap, it is a 180. And I could never have predicted that. But I feel fortunate that I was like, okay, very settled in my marriage. I was already 35. I had done a ton of traveling and my husband and I did a lot of, of our traveling together and I traveled before him. And so I think that there's a lot of sort of angst about timelines for people today about, you know, I have to date somebody for this long and then we have to be married for this long. And then we have a kid. And I, what I say to my clients, because I work with a lot of millennials is like, it just doesn't work that way. So I really try to help them release that anxiety around the timelines because it virtually never works out the way we plan it from a timeline perspective. 
So true, isn't it? <laughs> In most of our own lives, science children yeah. too. So when you're working now as a coach to keep marriages together, previous to this, you, I guess, met with people one-on-one who were working out of their marriages, you know, working towards. So when you talk to people who actually said, I knew I should never have married him or her. I just knew it. They just checked the right boxes or we had known each other for so long. You know, there's so many different reasons why people marry who they marry, knowing it's not exactly the right choice. Mm -hmm. Do you encourage them to share that with their spouse if they're ready to get divorced? So I take the client's lead. Now, if the client said that to me, I would ask them if they actually wanted to stay married, if they wanted to cultivate something new and something different. Uh, so I would, I would actually want to know why they're seeing me. So it would be different if they came to me individually as opposed to if they came to me with their partner. And so I would want to know what they wanted. And if they really wanted to figure out a way to separate from their partner, then that's what I'm here for. So it's really my, my stance with clients really is that I, I hold in mind and work towards what they want for their life, not what I think they should do. Mm-hmm. And clients will oftentimes ask me, well, well what, what do you think I should do? I can never answer that because I'm not in their shoes. It's just, it's unfair. Right. And I've heard too many stories of therapists and coaches giving guidance and advice like that. And I just think it's inappropriate. I'm not that omnipotent to know what I think you should do with your life. Right. So I really help them figure out what they should do. Now, if it's a marriage therapy situation and they come to me and they say they weren't the right person to begin with, but I do want to work it out. Do I encourage them to share that? Um, It depends. Um, Some things are worth sharing because they're helpful and they would move the needle. Some things are not worth sharing because they really don't have any implications on the future they're building. And it would actually be potentially really hurtful to the person. And so I really think through that very carefully on a case-by-case basis. I understand exactly what you're saying. A, when people ask me for my opinion of what they should do, can't give it, won't give it, not fair to give it, inappropriate to give it. And then number two, it's just been a conundrum for me. And that's why I ask this question because there have been a number of different times where uh, a mediation is over. Typically, if it's a, if it's a heterosexual couple, typically husband leaves first. They don't want to hang around and talk. Wife, takes a while to gather her belongings and is talking. And so I actually am fascinated by what I'm hearing because without husband in the room, wife can be a little bit more open. Mm -hmm. And I'm quite surprised at the number of women who have been in long-term marriages, long-term in California, meaning over 10 years, long-term marriages, knowing they probably, it wasn't the right decision, but they hung in there. They had a decent relationship. What are they supposed to be like anyway? I don't know. We're raising children. We're building wealth. And then an event happens that 
now leads towards divorce. And I just, I wondered, I just wanted guidance just for me even to ask somebody uh, with your credentials, A, should it be mentioned? And then you kind of answered it. What's the value in mentioning it? Because in a no-fault divorce state, who cares? The, the, The division of assets and debts is what it is. Yeah. It matters, though. Here's the one place it matters. When it's very difficult dividing the assets um, and the person who doesn't know that their spouse wasn't sold on marrying them mm-hmm. and still wants all the same divisions of asset, you know what? I don't yeah. think it's worth it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm just going to go out on this limb. It's probably not best. But for those listening who absolutely know they made the wrong choice, um, how do they handle it for themselves going forward? Yeah. yeah. So so that would leave someone if if once once that person becomes aware of that, right? So oftentimes people might know that on a certain level, but they actually have to suppress it enough in order to function, in order to go through with all of the next steps, expanding their family, buying the house, whatever it is. Okay. So they have to suppress it on some level. Now there'll be a point in time and maybe it might be an event, but there'll be a point in time where it may, may rush to the forefront of their mind. And now they're, now they're very ambivalent because there is a part of them that um, really wants to leave this marriage because they know that they this was actually not the right marriage for me to begin with on the one hand. And a part of them that knows that, wow, we have this longevity, we've got this life together and what am I going to do? So that's a really difficult conflict to be in internally. And so what I suggest to that person is um, because some people in that situation very thoughtfully work through the decision to say, you know what? I want to stay married. Like we have a lot of future plans together and I could see myself living out my retirement with this person. They are a good human. They treat me well. If all of those factors are in place, I think that 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 decision for people is a fine decision. But when you have people who say, uh, you know, I don't actually think I want to be married. And oftentimes what happens is, here's what I think. Let's say it's a woman. Because men, I find, are much more quickly to move out of the marriage. Women are just, you know, we're, there's, we're sort of, it's ingrained in us to make these sacrifices for the sake of something bigger than ourselves, whereas I don't, and this is a generalization. So generalizations come from some truth, but of course, there's exceptions to every generalization. So let's just say it's a woman. Here's what I find, is that woman encounters another man at work, at the gym, somewhere, who brings something to the table that they're like, wow, this is the thing I've been missing all along. Now, this is not, I'm not even talking about a nefaria. I'm just saying they have this connection and they're like, this is it. This is the thing that I want. And that is the thing that's been missing in my marriage since day one. And they didn't know it because they didn't have anything to compare it to yet. And I think that that, that state right there is the most agonizing state for a person to be in because now they know what they're missing, and now they're craving it. Wow, that was a great, that was a great story representation of something 
that happens all the time. It does. Wow, that was excellent. I had not really thought about that mm-hmm. that event and how that could turn a relationship around. So then the other person says, what are you talking about? We spent all these years. I have a client couple that I got uh, legally separated, which that's not quite divorced. You can't remarry when you're legally separated. Uh, you have to then get divorced if you want to get married. And they had known each other since kids. They built a very financially successful company together. Um, they have wonderful assets. And she apparently met somebody that that fulfilled that little part of her that didn't even know needed to be fulfilled. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that just happens to people. Okay, so as a psychotherapist, how, how would you talk to the receiving spouse, the one who has to hear, you know, there was just something missing all these years? It's really painful for that person. And and on the one hand, that person is going to feel really angry and betrayed like how could you how could you sort of string me along all these years in this marriage when you weren't feeling it and you weren't being honest with me that's on the one hand but on the other hand let's just say the person who was on the giving end of that didn't really know until they knew so they weren't doing something egregious right mm-hmm. and that could make for a really messy divorce, though, if there's kids, right? So, and I say if there's kids, because that just always complicates it. Oftentimes, there can be just a clean break when there's no kids and the assets are pretty straightforward. It's when they have something to fight over other than their dignity. So, you know, I think that, that that's a really painful realization for that person. Like, like, wow, I was giving you all of my love and... It didn't really mean anything to you. And I think that that is, sadly, it can be a reality. Now, I would deal with that differently if somebody was coming to me as an individual to work on that, because I do have clients who are part of a couple who come to me to work on that individually. They're in a marriage, but they're they're like at that point where I just described to you, they're the one on the giving end, not the receiving end. And I would work with it differently if they were coming to me as a couple, because it's, you know, when it's a couple, I work for the couple. When it's an individual, I work for the individual. So it right. just depends. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. Yeah, that's that's very, very tough to listen to and to watch. It, it, it and, and so thank you for that um, approach. Another question, and this is something that comes up frequently in divorce, and I'm sure it comes up when you're trying to put Uh, repair a marriage and so they don't get divorced and that is you have a power imbalance and maybe it's not even known to the alpha person that there is a power imbalance but with the beta person they become a victim or they express themselves as a victim I in my work as a mediator I can't really touch that I can notice it and see it, and I see it in in in, in what they say. Um, so I'll be the victim talking right now. Well, he or she said they don't want to divide the assets. Okay. Well, what does that mean? 
they don't want to. I, I, what, here's what I know it means. You don't f- feel like you have a voice okay. and you're coming to me to, to, to see what you should say. So in general, for people who either because of the dynamics of the marriage, the way it's structured, I'll take care of all the financial stuff. You raise the family. I mean, that's still a yeah. very common uh, approach. Uh, because raising a family is a job unto itself. So how do how do people get out of that role when there's a divorce, which literally provides the best opportunity to create a new voice for yourself? But if you don't know how to do it, you need help doing it. How do you do it? And if you don't know how to do it and you don't even know that that's a thing, you're very inclined to get into your next marriage and repeat that. So let me just contextualize this for a moment. So there is a yin and yang in marriages. Okay, so this person takes on this role, this person takes on the complementary role to that. So when you have um, a power differential like this, there's an alpha, the alpha is going to marry a deferential woman who is going to allow them, I'm, I'm saying an alpha male because it's it's common, but there are women like this too, you know? So the alpha is going to marry a deferential partner in order to fulfill that, that yin and yang, that balance that they really need to be able to keep up. And I would say that that person comes into the marriage, the, vic- the I put in quotes, the person who is in the victim role, comes into the marriage with some um, sort of submissive or deferential type of way of being. It's either part of their temperament or their personality or it's learned behavior or something. And then what happens is, is over the course of the marriage, it starts to crystallize. And so you crystallize more and more into your role that's suited for your personality and your style as part of that relationship because your partner and you sort of unconsciously collude to keep that dynamic going. So what happens is, is now you believe that you are a victim. So this is a state of mind thing. And then you start to act in accordance with it. So in order to make a shift there, we actually have to unravel that. And this person who is in that state needs to recognize ultimately that that is a choice to relate to someone as a victim, which means it's a choice to pull out of that and start to relate to someone differently. Now, I don't mean it to be so simplistic that I just say to myself, well, I'm just not going to be a victim anymore. And now I'm going to be different. There is a lot of work that needs to be done inside the psyche to change the paradigm from which that person is operating from if they want to get out of that role. And I would suggest that like that would be part of their work as they are going through the divorce to really strengthen themselves so that they can take a stand for what they want and what they need. And then also for the future, for their their next relationship. So beautifully said. So what would you do, just interested, if the couple came to you, we have a lot of issues, you know, we've been talking about divorce, but we want to see one more time can we keep the marriage together? So they come to you for the work that you're doing now. And you see this differential, this yin and yang, this power dynamic. How do you approach it so that it can be an equal uh-huh. relationship? Yeah. yeah, that's a great question. So so when a couple comes to me and I, I as soon as I start to see the dynamics unfold right before my eyes that are part of the reason why their marriage is disintegrating, 
I actually call it what it is. And so I identify that for them. And I talk with them about, so, so if, and if this was a couple that was very sensitive to criticism, because sometimes the, the powerful person is actually very thin skinned typically, right? So I'm very mindful that what they're presenting on the exterior is not how they're feeling on the inside. So I take that into consideration. And I will usually say something like, look, there's a dynamic that I noticed that has been woven throughout your relationship for a lot of years that I think is the cornerstone of why you all are where you are. Is it something that you would like for me to talk with you about? They always say yes, but I really need to just sort of prime them for that because they're getting ready to hear something that's not going to be easy to hear. And the person who's the alpha is going to sort of, you know, be like, hmm, okay. And the other person, depending upon how comfortable they are and how safe they feel with me, might say, oh, absolutely. Or they might be a little coy about it and say, oh, okay, I wasn't quite sure. And so that becomes the work. And what I say to a couple like that ultimately is you either transform this dynamic or sadly the marriage is going to end. And I actually know people, I have, I know people that I've worked with, but I know people personally in my life that have had that dynamic and, um, and it becomes the, it's, it's ends the relationship because at some point the person in the deferential position starts to say like, like, I want more, like, I don't want to be the doormat anymore. I have a lot to offer. I want more. And they start getting noisy. And then the other, and then the, the, the more alpha partner is just like, gosh, let me just see if I can placate them. Let me just, you know, buy them another gift or something. Again, I'm gender stereotyping because it's commonly the way it goes. But yeah, so in, in my work, while I don't tell people what to do, I do call out their dynamics. I sort of call them on the carpet basically so that they, you know, because they're sort of pushing the pee around in their relationship about what it is. I wrote an article. Um, I, I I did an episode last week on on the podcast about um, being a victim, and I said, you know, we don't always know when we're a victim. We learn things from our parents, and we, you know, we look at that dynamic, and we unconsciously, muscle memory, whatever, um, start. Uh, adjusting and being the person that I guess we identify with more. Uh, maybe quite often women identify with their mothers and men identify with their fathers. So I, so I then said, but there's many different reasons why that role is assumed. And so I started uh, breaking it down and, uh, and, and and then wrote a blog on it. And I, I really appreciate somebody got back to me and said, it sounds like you're blaming the victim. And I said, well, first of all, thank you for mentioning that. I, I, I absolutely didn't mean that. So I'm not victim blaming at all. I thought I had listed different reasons why we just go into that role without even knowing it. And then at some point it boils over and we don't really know what's happening. Why is it boiling over? But I did say at the end of the day, it's a choice. We have to be aware that's what it is we're living in. And then we have to know how to get out of it. Mm -hmm. So there's still that choice that we all have to make to live in a way that makes us feel free and happy and whole. Um, 
Yeah. And, and so I guess that the, that's what I'm kind of hear you, hearing you say, too, though, that we do have to make choices in life in order to change our lives. Absolutely. And one other thing that I would say to that person, let's, you know, let's just say they sort of come by it honestly, that they they have a more deferential personality, they're mild mannered, they have a very soft temperament. That person should not be with a strong alpha. I mean, it just, they, they shouldn't be with a strong, that's not a good match for that person. And so let's say that that person is not going to transform their personality and become someone who's not that. Then they need to look for someone who is a closer match to their personality style rather than someone who's so far apart from that. That's excellent information. That really is. You know, there needs to be more shows on how to get married rather than how to get divorced. If you look at the divorce podcast, they're like, they overrun the internet. There's not a heck of a lot of shows that will talk about how you make choices to get married Mm -hmm. because therein lies the problem a lot of times, not always, is the choices we make and Mm -hmm. how we approach people. And so that was really great when you said that. So as we're leaving this topic and before we move into forgiveness, any advice for people, and I, I don't think many people are listening, of course, that are about to get married. I don't know. But people about to get divorced know people about to get married. Um, what should people do if, they, if they're a more submissive person, a more mild-mannered person, easily dominated? How should they look at the type of person they should marry? I think that what's really important is that we are really clear about who we are and what we bring to the table before we get married, which is not the case for most people. A lot of people haven't really done their inner work to to know the ins and outs of who they are and what they bring to the table. And, you know, the, the old adage of opposites attract, there is there is a lot of truth in that. So one of the things that when I'm working with people who are either post-divorce and they're looking for another partner or they're, you know, in their late thirties, early forties, and they still haven't found a partner is we think a lot about the unconscious draw that they have to people. And so a lot of times there will be someone who's very mild mannered, who is drawn to someone who's very strong. And the reason why oftentimes is because that person provides something that I don't have inside of me. And that is the strength and this power and this outward force and all of that. So that's one of the reasons. And I think that what happens then is that, well, not I think, I know what happens then is that that that, that draw ends up becoming the Achilles heel for this couple. So there needs to be a more conscious kind of coupling as opposed to it being a fully unconscious coupling, which is typically what happens. And when I'm working with couples, we're always peeling away the layers about, okay, what really drew you to each other? Not the looks, not the sense of humor, not the job. What really psychologically drew you? And that's what we find is that there's a, there's sort of like this seamless fit. You have things in your personality I don't have, and you possess things that I'm never going to possess, and I need somebody to manifest them for me, and it's going to be you. And sometimes that works, but sometimes it doesn't. You said a phrase, I'm writing it down right now, conscious coupling. So we've heard the conscious uncoupling, right? Mm -hmm. But conscious coupling, it's not a phrase I've heard. 
Yeah. I like that phrase. I really, really like that phrase. Um, I know there are some couples that really talk about their values before they decide to get married. I don't know if more people do that than not, but I think I want to return at some point to conscious coupling. I, I really like that concept. And I think we should explore it, especially for people who are getting divorced now, but would like to remarry. Yeah. And, and, well, and people do. People are relate, those people who are relationship oriented don't want to stay out of a relationship for too long. No. And I see divorce as an opportunity for growth for those who are willing to take it. That this is an opportunity to really unpack how you got in that last marriage, how that marriage disintegrated, what you're looking for now, and how do you actually get what you really want and what you need? Because part of it's what we want, but part of it is what we need. Yeah. And identifying what you need. So here's the last topic I would like to cover. And it's really the bridge, I think, between everything we've talked about and possibly starting a new relationship. And that's forgiveness. Mm -hmm. So forgiveness is one of the seven stages of divorce grief. And it's the last stage. So just for people who haven't heard it, shock, denial, anger, bargaining, depression, acceptance, forgiveness. I think that's kind of the order it goes in. And, and so forgiveness being the last piece to unload any of the ill feelings, the toxicity, anything weighting us down. So how do you deal with forgiveness in order to open people up for joy again? Mm -hmm. Gosh, that is such a good question. So one of the uh, Buddhist concepts I love is um, anger is like a hot rock. He who holds it is the only one who gets burned. So I integrate lots of Buddhist concepts, lots, I mean, a, a decent amount of Buddhist concepts because they're so practical and it gives something, it gives someone a nugget to really hold on to because the reality is, is when we don't forgive, it is just like holding a hot rock. And the only person who gets burned from that is ourselves. So I think a lot with clients about the energy that they are expending holding on to the anger. And as you're saying, I didn't know that those were the stages of divorce grief. I'm familiar with sort of the seven stages of grief by Elizabeth Kubler-Ross. but right, for, mind, for right? death. Yes, but yeah. acceptance and forgiveness, I think, are the... Oh, well, no, no, acceptance is part of death. It's shock that's new to divorce grief, maybe. Anyway, yes, go denial, ahead. I know what you're talking denial about. Is in, is in death. But at the end of, of grief in general for death is acceptance and hope. Okay, so... So I see forgiveness as the same thing. It's the, it's the coming to terms with what is like, this is my reality. And now when I come to terms with that, I can have hope about moving forward. When people don't forgive, they're holding on to something, which means that there is a, a not coming to terms with what the reality is. And I think that that holds people back from moving on to whatever the next stage of their life is for them. And so, you know, the extreme version of that is you see people who are very bitter and, you know, they're just very sour and curmudgeon-y about things. And, and that kind of energy, um, it's, it's, a, it's an energy suck. It's an energy leak. So I work with clients. I don't really say 
you know, you have to forgive. But the way I work with them is what kind of energy do you want to hold moving forward? Where do you want your bandwidth to go? I help them sort of think about the pie graph, which I, you know, the pie graph is sort of, we have a pie, it's one pie in our life. How many slices are occupied by what? How many slices right now are occupied by your anger and lack of forgiveness over your marriage that just ended? If it's seven out of eight, would you only have one slice to do the rest of life with? So I really help contextualize it with people so they can make a much more informed decision about moving forward. Harry, in your first divorce, did you have to go through forgiveness of yourself and your husband? Yes, a lot. More so myself, because I I'm the I'm really a historically a very type A person. I mean, I've had to sort of like I've dialed back a lot of that part of my personality since I became a mom because I've had to. But the fact that I like made what I thought of as such a huge mistake, um, I was really mad at myself like for making that mistake. And I've really had to come to this place where, you know, I've taken the lessons from it. And I've learned a lot from that experience along with other experiences where I felt like I made a mistake. And for me, that is about forgiving myself for just doing the best I could with my internal resources at the time, which were limited because I was young. And so I think that 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 is a key element for people at any stage. It's sort of like, I mean, you know, when I work with people who are parents and they are angry with themselves for not being the kind of parent they want to be. There's an element of forgiveness there. I mean, there's an element of forgiveness in just about every aspect of our life. And we do have a choice to make. Are we going to let go and release the weight so that we can move forward and, and let invite joy in? Or are we going to hold that weight, keep ourselves weighed down, and we're not going to be able to invite joy in? Because I really think about is that as an invitation. Absolutely. And then forgiveness, just, you know, going back to the, uh, the victim, the submissive, um, discussion that we had. Do you think the person who's now finding their own strength, finding their own voice, do you think it would help them to forgive themselves and their alpha spouse? Does that balance the relationship when forgiveness is given to the person they feel has controlled them during the marriage? So I would say the forgiveness of themselves for um, moving forth in life without knowing and realizing certain things about themselves that put them in a position that made them be more fill in the blank, deferential. Um, passive, what have you. What I would say about the spouse is there's an opportunity to humanize them. And it might not be forgiveness. It might be humanize them. That they were part of this yin and yang that I was also a part of. And together, we unconsciously colluded to create this dynamic. He didn't tie me up and tell me this was how I had to be, right? Two people are part of that. And so we unconsciously colluded to create the dynamic. So I'm much more about humanizing that person because I actually think if we can humanize them first, it's very easy to forgive them. Because as I said earlier, 
most of the time, these people who have these very strong exteriors, they're very insecure on the inside. So if we can humanize them, we can see their insecurity. Gosh, it's so much easier to forgive them. Wow. That was one of the best ways I've heard that explanation given because I can relate to it. I bet Anybody listening can relate to it. It's, it's tangible. We know what it means to humanize people. It's very hard to know how to forgive. The idea of forgiveness isn't familiar. What does that feel like? What does that mean I have to do? Well, it's a decision to start with, but humanizing. I love that. Thank you. God, thank you. You know what? Time has gone like, I can't believe I just looked at the clock. I want people to get in touch with you and I totally want you to come back too. I mean, oh, I would you're- love to come back. this is such a stimulating discussion. It's, I find it so interesting. Well, thank you for that. And I'm finding, I'm loving listening to you talk and, and give us your thoughts. So even though we have show notes, your contact information will be, in, will be in the show notes. You know, there are some people that are listening that just want to write something down and mm-hmm. have you available. Best way to contact you. So people can contact me, uh, email cc at com. I'm on LinkedIn, Carrie Cohen. I'm also on Instagram, Carrie Cohen Coaching. And so uh, any one of those methods, I will be available. And um also have a website, which is com. So keep it all streamlined. It makes it easy to find me. So if you want your marriage to stay together, you're not sure it can, you go to Carrie. And if you're trying to make sense of all the emotions um, as a result of going through a divorce, but with the intention of possibly having another relationship, all the same reason why, Carrie, you're great. Thank you so much. I've really enjoyed this time with you. Thank you, Judith, for having me. And thank all of you for listening. I appreciate all of it. You know that I'm always open to comments, suggestions. You can go through my website, theamicabledivorceexpert.com on the episode page. You have an opportunity after you've listened to the episode to communicate back with me and uh, bring other topics to the table. If you just found this and haven't subscribed yet, please do so. If you know somebody that would benefit from this conversation, please forward this episode to them. But as always, we conclude with have an amicable day. That's our show for today. Thank you for joining us. Be good to yourselves, be kind to your spouse, and cherish your children above all else. 